got quiet, got quiet. How many of you, don't raise your hand, I'm sure there's some of you in this room still wondering, is this allowable in church? Can what they do, is that allowed in church? Um, absolutely, I'm sure churches all over the world are, we're probably questioning like, gosh, can that music actually worship the Lord? And I want to say something this morning that I hope you understand what I love about our series about the church. I want guys writing rap music that love Jesus to get on the radio, don't you? And hip hop, and I want authors writing, and I want people that love Jesus that become politicians. Yes, they exist that love Jesus, yeah. I mean, this is the beauty of the local church, that God uniquely gifts all of us and places us in these spots, these mission fields. The church was never to be reduced down to a gathering or a meeting. It is not a monument. It is not a stack of bricks. It is a missional movement that God has been doing through Jesus Christ. And it says, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, I will build my church, Jesus said in Matthew 16. And that's what we get to celebrate. And we knew, like, bringing these guys up for some I think we had some people leave the first service. You know, it's interesting. So we're going to give you their phone numbers and you can call them up and try to bring them back. Thank you. Uh, no, it's interesting. Like, wow. Open up this morning to the reality that the way you think and our culture here in Green Bay is to be about church is probably way bigger, much grander much deeper, much wider than you could ever imagine, that the church is big. And it's, it's this divine movement that God has orchestrated. We've been in this series for three weeks about epic, this, this amazing local church. And this morning, I want to finish this series, but really kind of launch us into uh, some things as we talk about in the future about our church, but it, it sets a groundwork. This morning I want to give you kind of a, a mind exercise, a mind exercise to kind of work through a psychological uh, study that was around this, and I've kind of changed it a little bit, but I want you to think about this. We're all on a plane. Anybody phobias for flying and crashing on a plane? Anybody have that? Yeah, sorry. This actually does crash. Um, <laughs> this plane does, so <laughs> you may not want to do this exercise. <laughs> you are watching this unfold. Um, we're all on the plane. Uh, it crashes on an island, a very remote island. It's off the grid. It's off the map. And everyone, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say passes away. Is that nice? There you go. Passes away. Except for 10 of you, and you're one of them. As you look at the other nine, you recognize that they're not like you. In fact, they could be different countries. You're not even sure if they speak your language. They don't look like you. They don't dress like you. And you recognize immediately that you've got to scour the island because you don't know if help will ever come. So you work through the island with the other nine and you're looking for food and water, fresh water. You find nothing. All you see is in the middle of this island this massive, massive mountain. This massive mountain that would only, uh, it could only take an expert mountaineer to be able to kind of get up this thing. And guess what? You are that person. You are the only, out of the ten, expert mountain climber, world-renowned. As you look at that, you realize you could free climb that, but as you look at the other nine, there's no way. 
They don't have the experience. They don't have the body type. They're not in shape. They're different ages. All of that just you summarize that they will not make it. So you still scour the mountain. You get up there. After several hours, you get to the top to go over the crest and sit on this plateau of this amazing valley full of wildlife, of fresh water, of fruit trees. We'll pretend there's gardens of vegetables. There could be brats growing on trees. I don't know. Okay, so whatever, however you want to paint that picture. It's all there for you. And you, as you look over the cliff, you recognize that there's enough food here for years for all ten of you. But there's a problem. You see, you recognize as an expert mountain climber that this is a, a very treacherous uh, way to get up. You realize that you could stay up here on your own and let whatever happens for them to happen. And you could really, in isolation, live up here for a long time, have a full life, and be able to survive. But as you think about it, I'd have you think, what would you not experience? Sure, it would be risky in trying to get all of them up, but you'd probably miss some certain things that require relationship. You probably would never experience someone saying thank you and experiencing gratitude. You'd never experience the chance to serve someone. You'd never experience the chance of having peace when there was conflict. You would never really experience joy because joy would come through celebrating even with other people. I mean, we, the list could go on. You'd never experience the, the gratitude and, and the love that you would have from two people working together or when someone forgives you for wronging them. The list could go on of all the things that you would miss. When this study was done, there was a little bit different twist to it, but it was very similar And it was asked, and 100% of the people asked this kind of mind exercise would say, it is not okay to stay in isolation. You are required to go down and help those other people. Why is it in the local church today that we see that as, wow, well, obviously you save those people. You do whatever you need to. You take the risk. You you shoulder the burden of, of struggle of all that it's going to take to interact, to connect, but you help those people. But in the local church, we think we can sit in chairs and attend services on Sundays in isolation. You see, in essence, we are all up there at that plateau having to ask ourselves the question, are we willing to risk the struggle of being in relationship with other people? I think that's one of the pressing issues of our churches today, that many churches choose to work through programs and just attend the program and you're in. If you just jump through these certain hoops and you're in, and never, ever, ever in our Bibles, as we read the different writers and authors that were inspired by God to write this, do we ever get the idea That you can know God in isolation and not be a part of people's lives in relationship. In fact, theologians, men who study God all their life in theology would say, you cannot know God and not be in a relationship. You can't do it in isolation. And so the Bible is filled with all of these passages about serving together and learning how to, to, to kind of work together. 
And friends, this morning I want to set up for you that I don't think there's anything more challenging in the local church today than learning to be together. I mean, for us, honestly, to get up and do quiet times is a discipline issue and to pray to God. And for all intents and purposes, that's a lot of our struggle relationally, but I would say that the shouldering weight of the church today lies on our ability to have relationship with one another. Proverbs says it this way in Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Our Bibles speak of this. And in Sunday mornings, we, we strive to teach the truth that comes out of this book we call the Bible that's assortment of many books that have this amazing, unanimous uh, arrow that points right to Jesus. And when it points to Jesus, it says Jesus is going to die and he, he, he resurrects and saves us so that we might then have life and we become this big family. And the Bible is pointing here in Proverbs saying you can't isolate yourself. You, you might try to physically. It's not a good idea. It won't be good for you. You run away from a sound judgment. There's a lot of different versions of, of this. It reminds me of this picture. We've been using the metaphor of a roller coaster that the local church is being called into this experience that God says, I don't want you just to ride what I'm going to build. I also want you to be a part. You're going to play a part in building it. And if we were to put different roller coasters from different countries and cities, all kind of excuse me, contrasting them, we'd probably see some are, have drops and some have loops. They'd all be different probably. But they all have one purpose. The local church, that mission and mandate for us is to love Jesus. To find, as God finds us, we're to go find others and tell them the same. It's called make disciples. And we've been talking about this, and yet this picture to me seems like many churches today that sit in isolation and you wonder why. Why churches end up getting smaller and smaller and smaller is because we miss the idea and the concept that we're not just launched by Christ. We're not just this amazing uh, missional plan that God has for us. We are that plan. We are those people that are to be rubbing shoulders with other people. So this week, I had an amazing week. And one of those weeks that, as I knew I was going to talk about this, this message about you're all a part of the local church. If you know Jesus, you're a part. You, you can't debate that. Biblically, you can't debate it. You are in. If you're new this morning and you don't know God, as you step across the line to surrender your life to Christ, it says that you become a part of the body of Christ. You're in. Not as sitting members and attenders, but as functioning members. You have a, a role. And I've done that message so many times where I, I, I was just wrestling with, gosh, it just feels like, I'm, we're missing something because why is it it's so hard for people to do this? Why is it so hard for us to do that? And so I wanted to talk about what do these parts do? What does this look like? And if we're not disagreeing that we all have a part, I mean, we look at Romans here, for in the same way that one body has many different parts, each different functions. I'm glad that, that Terrence and CW are writing rap and hip-hop music because I'm not gifted there. We know that we're glad that Jim is not writing rap music, right? Um, 
And yet we're glad that Jim is what? Doing men's group ministry. And you know, if you've met Jim, you know, and you're male around here, you're going to feel the pull relationally for Jim to get you in there. We're glad he's doing that. They're all different parts. And what the Bible talks about is that you all have a role. It says, we too, the many, are different parts that form one body, the anointed one. And each of us has come joined together, and we become together what we could not be alone. What's so amazing about the local church is we get this great gift and opportunity to be so much more than what we could be on ourselves. You're, you're on that plateau, and you see all that you need, or at least you think. But little do we recognize in that illustration that this person would die in isolation, maybe with a full belly, maybe with a refreshed, you know, with, with fresh water, but he would miss the community of people. And Jesus builds that. He calls us to be a part of that. The first thing this morning I'm going to say that what are the parts to do? They're to work together. They're to put in practice and in play what you have. No matter who you are in this room, uh, if you know Jesus, whether you're young or old, rich or poor, educated, not very educated, you know, however you want to rate yourself on the scale of spiritual enough to do something for God, if you know Jesus, you've been qualified and given an ability. I don't know what that is, and you may not either. Yet God has said, your responsibility will be, did you begin to work together? Did you put it in play? Did you put it in practice? Think about it this way, if we were to take that illustration even further, that that group down there, maybe they had skills. Maybe one was a doctor. Maybe one knew different languages, including yours, and could teach the whole group different languages. I mean, we could go through this whole experiment of maybe you don't even realize what they would offer you. Do you realize the beauty of the local church that none, most of you didn't pick this group to show up this morning, Right? You didn't go through the Green Bay phone book and, and call out, these, these are the people I choose to be a part of that. So when you walk, people walk in, you know, it's kind of like, who are they? Well, they, don't, they don't fit here. Tim Keller says it this way. It's interesting. In the, in the church, you have a choice as you attend. You kind of pick the friends you want to be with, who you want to go to lunch with after church and hang out with. As a pastor, I'm supposed to like everybody, even the people you don't like and don't want to go to lunch with, right? But I want to say what he says. I love it, and I think it's so true. He said it, he and his wife have committed to loving those people, and they fall in love with those people. You know what it is for all of us? We didn't necessarily pick each other in this room, but when you start working together, you're going to find, wow, I love that person. They're so different than me, and yet they, they do something for me I could not do on my own. That's the picture this morning about working together. That's, that's required for us to do as followers of Jesus. Now, on Mondays, what several of our elders and spouses and staff have been doing is going through this amazing uh, curriculum down in Menasha at Christ the Rock Church. And Bill Lenz, the pastor there, has, has come and spoken with us. They've been, doing, uh, they've been doing this for 26 years. It's called Transformation of the Heart. And, and I'm serious. This I can't wait to launch in the fall for us. It is changing a lot of us. But we were talking about why people don't grow. 
And I don't know if you're the same way as I am, and I'm hoping you're not, because that means you're probably gone now. But, you know, after about 10 minutes, and I'm like ADD probably, I start drawing, and all of a sudden a thought, and then I'm, I've got some other thing I'm doing. And I knew I was going to talk about all of the amazing parts of the body of Christ, and we should be using them together. And I thought, why is it that so difficult? And I recognized, I realized, wow, there's something, there's some common denominators here about change, about growing, about being different that are hard for us. So if we want to change and we want to grow, we know that can't be in isolation. We just discussed that. That's what the Bible speaks of. We can't do that. Why is it so hard together? Well, first, because we feel brokenness. You might feel that brokenness with God. But I'm speaking more this morning about that brokenness with a relationship. You begin to feel the distance, and you know something's not right. Immediately with brokenness, obviously, what starts to follow? Tension. There may be avoidance, and you may have like ways that you can not feel the tension, or at least you think. You medicate it. You get busy. You ignore it. You reject it. Some fly right in the face and try to confront it. But some way you're dealing with tension. And I wrote down there, I said, gosh, it seems like you just, you don't just got to work together. You actually got to start talking about it. You actually have to start being honest and dialoguing through as you're working together. How many of you, don't raise your hand, please, in this question. This will indict some people. Um, you've, you've, you're serving with someone and there's, you recognize you're different. And, and the way they think is different. And, and you even think maybe the way they think is wrong. And then maybe their personality ir- irritates you, but you start to feel that tension and thinking, I don't ever want to work with this person again. What I started to write down and I realized, wow, there is some space there that we've got to begin to talk So I just wrote this down and thinking somehow I'm going to have to talk about this on Sunday. Well, this last week uh, on Monday night I did that and then I got in a car and drove to Milwaukee and flew to Louisiana because I was invited by a friend pastor to go down to Angola Penitentiary in Louisiana, the bloodiest and largest prison in America. Uh, About 5,000 inmates. Now, I went down there, and what's very interesting is I went down there, I was going to meet with some pastors. Now, these pastors weren't pastors brought in. They were pastors that were trained in the seminary that this warden built 15 years ago in the seminary, and 300 of them have graduated as MDiv pastors and have started 23 churches in Angola in this penitentiary. It's revival. So as, as I'm there, I get to spend a day and a half with some pastors. Now, I want you to watch this video. It's a little bit long. Some of you, again, who ADD like me, um, try not to sleep or doodle. But I want you to catch a couple pictures here. There's something unique going on. Yes, they're in prison for a crime. Most of these men uh, are murderers, sexual crimes, uh, multiple felons, uh, I think it's 90-something percent will die there. They won't get out. So as a cultural perspective, they're not free, right? They're locked up. I have, 
I've, I've done it with Linda over here on the Green Bay Penitentiary. When I get to go do that, I never meet with more free people in my life. So this is the picture. I want you to watch this for a moment, and we're going to talk about this picture of community and how it impacted me this week. KLSP 91.7. We're here on a beautiful Friday afternoon, and I just want to say no matter what you're going through, God loves you. God keep you. Remember that all failure is not final. God wants to deliver you from bondage right where you are. Just keep listening to KLSP 91.7. It's a real community of people living real life, experiencing real life issues and real problems but trusting that God is going to bring them through. It's surrounded on three sides by the Mississippi River, the Tunica Hills to the south. We farm cattle, about 2,000 head of cattle. We have cotton, about 1,500 acres of soybean, 1,100 acres of wheat, about 800 acres of corn, and uh, everybody's busy. is at work in the lives of men and not only that in this setting we're reaching the world it's it's believed and it's and it's sincerely believed by a bunch of us here that God is not only going to do not only doing a work here but he's going to do a work quite possibly like the world has never seen the way you build a community you build it on a foundation and that community can be safe with the right attitude and the right frame of mind, you know, that if we just be concentrating on doing the things what God commissioned us to do. What we're doing here is we're taking it back and we take care of one another. We are brothers keeper here, you know. We help one another. So come on in and I guarantee you, you find this is not normal. This is a community. This is a society within itself, you know. And I guarantee you, you find our society safer than yours. And the unemployment rate is zero. Everybody has a job. <laughs> this is the ideal community. <laughs> yeah. This is a community of God. But it's also, it's in the midst of the a maximum security penitentiary, Louisiana State Penitentiary. Angola, average sentence 88 years. It's the largest maximum security prison in America. 90% of the inmates would die here. One out of every two, the murderer, has a life sentence. And then you have murders, you have aggravated sex crime, armed robbers who get 99 years, and habitual felons, three strikes and you're out. Angola, that is named after a black woman. 
everything else around was slaves. This land had more human suffering than anywhere in America, being a slave breeding plantation, and, and then slavery continued after the Civil War. It became a brutal prison, and all the way up through the 70s, there were 40 people murdered in one year here. I've been here 26 years, and this was one of the roughest prisons, the bloodiest prisons in the world. Oh, this place was a nightmare. I caught the tail into some really ugly situations. I mean, it was. It was bloody, it was messy, and you know, guys would pair up. Like, you know, I'd sleep half a night, and you sleep half a night, and if I woke up to use the bathroom and you fell asleep, I was obligated to make a hole in you, because you was allowing, you, you would have allowed me to die. You slept on your watch, and I mean, this place was a nightmare. Oh, mama. This is a cold place. This is a place without hope at one time. You couldn't hardly get missionaries to come in here. They were scared. Angola was thrown away. It was a thrown away place. It was dangerous. Down the line, God had a plan. And he had chosen a man by the name of Warden Burkane. And he came with a vision. He came with a vision for this place and for such a time as this. I didn't want to be the warden here. That was the first thing because we knew that the warden that came here all got fired after four or five years because you couldn't hold this place together because of too much violence. It turned out that after I got here, well, you know, I just felt called to do it and it was divine intervention, I do believe. I've been down almost 24 years and uh, I've been underneath quite a few wardens and he's the only warden that has brought God's love and his word to us in here. God has given us a warden that is allowing these guys to give back to society. You know, society has locked them up and um, they have considered them of no worth or no value, but God loves them and God considers them of great worth and great value and God has placed Warden Cain in this prison to facilitate that. You know, one man, this is one man, and don't tell me that one man can't make a difference in the world. Warden Kane has allowed us to, to have some liberty and have some dignity and respect. You know, he gave us an opportunity to be a man again. I like his philosophy. He said, I'll be good as you let me be and mean as you make me. I wrote him a note, don't take his hat. This is kind of an illegal hat, and I didn't want him to take his hat. He don't take his hat, thanks, Kane. Because this is an illegal hat, but he looks cute and he's a good showman, so we put the hat on him. That's why I thank God for Warden Burkane. You know, he'd take the worst of the worst. He'd say, okay, give them to me. His mama told him before she died, you got to watch out for those men's soul. You're responsible for those men. And I thank God today he did, because there are not many men in his position would go as far as he go. There's not many men in his position would step up and stand for the gospel like he stands. He has a love and a passion for people. He's, uh, he's not one quick to say no. He first wants to understand. And if it's a viable idea or plan, he's quick to say yes. And where no one else say, oh, that can't be done, that can't be done, he say, why not? 
You'll see um, guys here at Angola that everybody has a job, and that's another one of Warden Kane's um, directions, that everybody has a place that they fit in the world. Everybody has a niche, find a niche. It's like, we, again, your children. Some can't play ball, but he might be good at something else. We've got guys that just have jobs such as cutting the grass and are either um, mopping the floor, mopping the walk, um, picking up trash, whatever their job is. Uh, and they do it with dignity and they do it with honor. And uh, it really brings them a sense of purpose to know that they can do something and do it well. Every man have a job and he knows his job. And we keep it in order like that. This is a society. This is a community. And it run like that. And the warden wanted it run like that. With one king, what he does, he allow you to be a man, a man of God. One of the good definitions of worship is anything that you can do, you can do it as unto the Lord, you know, and it'll reflect. And not only that, it'll carry the power of the Holy Spirit with it consecrating the gifts that he's given me, this shop, the equipment, the time he's given me, school and everything to him is a form of worship. Hey, take ride when he cramps so harder. I want to see my Jesus when he passes You can do anything wherever you are. If you're a CEO of a business, if you're working there in that business, if you're a teacher, policeman, whatever you are, that wherever God has put you, you can change that place because you're the light of the world. I'm, I'm amazed. I stand amazed because I didn't... Yeah, I didn't create all this. I wasn't that smart. It just happened. And we just, and what I think the, the lesson here for you is, is open your heart to what God brings your way and just be ready. And, and don't be too surprised, but be amazed. Because it'll come if you'll be a, a vessel to allow it. Save me, Father. My name is Eugene Tiny Hill Jr. And I am a handmaid here at Louisiana State Penitentiary, serving a life sentence. Oh, Lord, mercy on my God. My name is Sidney Deloach, prison number 89339. Been incarcerated, going on 27 years. William Wallace. 10-13-92, I have a life sentence. Oh, Jesus. My name is uh, Charles Gray, number 125002. I live in the trustee dome. I'm serving a life sentence. My name is Greg Zumwalt, 114184 is my DOC number. And I'm here on a, an armed robbery and a first degree murder charge, doing natural life. Lord, save me. Savar Sutton, life. Come on now. Isn't that amazing? Man, you hear, you hear something different. Now, there's, maxim, there's all these prisons within this prison, and there's what's called the J Ward, and that's where... Uh, if you're not willing to take responsibility and do your part and your job and live a moral life, very interesting. The warden's kind of 
made that as his, you, you can't swear, you can't talk rude to people. So I was in the dorm with these guys. And you would have never thought you were in a prison. I mean, if you could close your eyes and change how you came in, sadly enough, it was warmer than many churches I've been in. Uh, it was freer. And so the guy, the, the, the fellow that was doing all the, the etched glass, his story, he was a Satanist. And who knows how many he killed, but uh, he's doing the glass on the chapel. They have chapels all over this campus. They have 456 church services every month. So his warden, Burl Kane, is actually being flown all over the world to change prison culture. And the way they start, they have a Bible seminary that's willing to build a church or build a seminary inside the prison. And so I got to go to Bible class and talk, which was, was awesome. You can't help but run through your mind of like, I wonder what they did, I wonder what they did. But then I thought for a moment, you know, probably the same thing for us in this room. What did we do? Where were we? And you just started to realize, wow, they're not really much different than us. These are a bunch of the chapels. Many uh, great godly men and women have been through this place um, to, to share. There's the entrance into the Bible college uh, under lock and key. So I got to meet for a couple hours with this group of men. The other guy in the black shirt um, is Len, and Len's a friend of mine from Willow Creek, but now he's the, the Bears chaplain. And isn't it interesting that we could connect together in prison, right? That's probably the only place. Um, <laughs> No, uh, so these other guys are all doing life. They're the pastors and leaders of 23 different churches that are planted. So the purpose of our gathering was to talk about how can we serve you. We're going to go back in April 7th and 8th and take a team of people down. And so how can we serve you? And so I started to take notes. And then it was the aha for me. Because listen to this. This place, this, that video was done, I think, in 1997. And now it's just, it's been a long time since all that, but they're just an amazing. Most of their men live in what's called dorms because they've graduated into this and they've agreed to live this way. But listen to this, these church leaders. We're realizing that our church members, that there's familiarity is breeding a sense of complacency and people are just sitting. This is in the prison. This is hilarious. Um, events are no longer motivating and moving the men. That we can't just do events as a church and hope that that changes hearts. It seems like motives have changed. It seems like when the stuff came, the hypocrisy showed up. The more stuff they've gotten in their chapels, they were talking about that now it's difficult. They said, now we have church competition, meaning I go to this church, I go to that church, I don't like what he says, I don't like what she says. You see this? I was just in awe, like, oh my goodness. There's great things going on there. I mean, the warden, what a good man. I mean, he heard his mom say that, but you realize his, they do all the executions for the state in this place. And he saw the first one and said, you can't treat men like animals. And so... Uh, he went to one of the first funerals and they just buried, carried a guy in a cardboard box and he fell out because it was soggy. And he mandated that they build a 
carriage hearse that they do a church service and he holds the hand and shares Christ with every man before he's going to be put under. He brought dignity back. He, he's leaning in. In other words, the warden himself has gone down and says, I, it's worth the risk to go back down and he's changed for it. But I realized as we were talking, these guys are just like us. I know they've committed crime, but, but if you read your Bible, you recognize that we're all as dark and sinful in our hearts. It's why we need Jesus Christ. So as we were talking, one of the suggestions I had, crazy guy from outside, I said, what if you were just honest and started talking? Remember my diagram? Remember my diagram about being honest about the tension and the dialogue? I said, what if you were to stand up in your churches and confess your own struggle? You know, and I, I got to share with them about you and our church and how I think every week I try to get up here and say, I am not perfect. I sin. I mess up. I am not cleaned up for Jesus so he can be oppressed with me. I, I come to the cross every day, friends, saying, oh, Lord, once again, I realize I need you. I got to share with these guys, and one of the guys said, oh, you can't do that in prison. I said, why? He said, the moment you start sharing weakness, guys will leave your church. Guys will pick another church. And I thought, wow. What is it about relationships? What is it about working together that we so just quit and walk away when we have a chance to be made better together, to work through some of the conflict, to work through some of the vulnerability? So we talked for a couple hours. We're going to go back and do a service much like that where these pastors are going to stand up together and, and talk about and, and address it. This is not all about prison this morning, but I find it ironic that culturally they're locked up and not free. And yet they're experiencing some community. Don't we want that? I think in some ways a lot of people are in prison, like an isolated prison here this morning. My diagram really just suggests that if we can't just work together, we've got to recognize we're broken. We've got to recognize that there's going to be tension in the relationships when we work with people. We've got to recognize, we've got to talk that out, even if we don't agree. Because I would guarantee you everyone in this room does not agree on lots of things. And then you can see God doing what only he does. He starts to change us in those dialogues. I love Galatians 6. This is in the, people have been asking me, I've been kind of going back and forth in versions. So sorry if you have a Bible this morning, you're like, what is he reading? Um, this is a new paraphrase called The Voice. I really love how it, it, it re rewrites the language. My spiritual brothers and sisters, if one of our faithful has fallen into a trap ensnared by sin, don't stand idle and watch his demise. Gently restore him, being careful not to step in your own snare. Shoulder each other's burdens, and then you will live as the law of the anointed and how he's taught us. Pretty powerful picture. Goes on. Don't take this opportunity to think you're better than those who slip because you aren't. Could you imagine? You're the mountain climber, and you're better than them. So you could look down, down to that group the other night and saying, they're not as good as me. You know how easy it is in culture, 
and in our churches to create pecking order about spirituality. Even in prison, they're doing it. Because our human nature wants to look right, wants to look better, wants to look holy. And when we start to embrace our brokenness and realize it's only Jesus that makes you holy, not you, you don't make yourself holy. He does. He says, you become then the fool if you think you're better than someone else and deceive even yourself. Examine your own work so that if you are proud, it will be because of your own accomplishments and not someone else's. Each person has his or her own burden to bear and story to write. You have a story to write. God's writing your story as he's given you a gift. If you have received Jesus, you then get a gift and you're to work in the church. You're to work together. Proverbs 27, 17, in the same way iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We're to sharpen one another in our character. We're also to love one another with brotherly affection, outdoing one another in showing honor. It's not enough just to say serve and get your work going together and let's do stuff around for the church and the community, but it's also that we've got to work through stuff. We've got to be committed to work through things together. That means you shoulder up and you recognize you're going to have conflict with each other. You're going to have struggle, just like these inmate pastors are struggling. We're going to have struggle, and we're committed and called to work through it. And guess what? You might be different at the end of it. You might think they're the problem. You might be the one that's going to grow. Ephesians 4 says this, Be humble, be gentle, be patient, tolerant with one another, Listen to this, in an atmosphere thick with love. You know what I hope for for our body? Not only do we work together and we work through tough things together, even when we don't see eye to eye, but I want the world, I want Green Bay to know that when you're a part of the community at Green Bay Community Church, it's thick with love. You just feel that sense of being loved. Make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit Really, that Jesus has already created with peace binding you together. In other words, we're to work towards being like Jesus because he's the one that unifies us. Friends, a program doesn't unify us this morning. The pastor doesn't unify us this morning. The building, the logo, the website, none of that is why we're together. We are together because of Jesus, and because of that, we're to preserve and work toward that unity. And that is what we are about at this church. This morning, I can't help but think that some of you feel like this. When we say the word epic, the amazing local church, you feel like a broken, uh, lonely, isolated ride that's just, it's dangerous. Not even, it's not even fun. It's horrible. And you feel that this morning. I want to encourage you, as those of you who know Jesus, that your responsibility is not only to work together, but also to work through but to work toward. And in order to do that, you're going to have to invest. You're going to have to come down off the mountain and take a risk and work through some struggle and bring the other nine up. And I don't know who God's putting in your path this morning, but honestly, be prepared. As Burl Cain said, you better be ready. You open yourself up. Who knows who the people are going to walk into your life? You probably wouldn't have picked them. They're probably going to be some of the most sharpening people in your life. But that is what changes us. 
When Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, I'm going to assort these amazing parts, and you are the parts. And when I get you to work together and work through tough issues together, you're going to start seeing things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-discipline. All these things are going to come out, not because you did them, but because I am growing you up on what you can't do alone. Friends, we're invited in. As Meg comes up and leads us this morning to communion, those of you who don't know Jesus this morning, you, you are not a committed follower of Christ, we just ask you to sit and enjoy the music because really the discipline that we're going to go through, this, this act of worship that we go to to take the bread and the cup is once again recognizing our own brokenness, recognizing that there was tension, there was a distance between us and God that God communicated to us. He put on skin, and that's called Jesus, who died for us and what changed us, offered change. We get to go there and embrace that. Well, you this morning, as you go to communion as, as believers, lock arms with whether it's a family member, biologically or spiritually, and recognizing we're called to work together as the body of Christ. Father, we thank you for this morning. A picture from a bloody place with a bloody story Yet, Father, as one of them I remember saying, it's still a bloody place. It's the blood of Christ that covers Angola. Father, if you can do it in a prison, why not here? Will you transform us through working together, through working through, and working toward that unity you've called us to in Jesus' name? Amen.